1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 65. This week, our feature, how-to gaming groups. We'll also talk about the Palaces of Carrera, 12 Realms, Cash and Guns, Gloom, Fairy Tale, and 504. You're listening to
0: a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing.
1: Find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris.
2: This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew.
1: Whoa! And you guys all showed up, and I was really worried about you because I know Anthony was comforting the Mice and Mystics, and Daniel just could not stop jumping up and down and ranting and raving over his win, which was getting a little bit, you know, much, but, you know.
2: Well, that's why we we moved the recording and didn't tell him where we're doing it (laughs) and when, so that's why Daniel's not here.
1: One was too much cheering, and the other one was too much sobbing, so...
2: Yeah, so Anthony just he's depressed. He locked himself in
1: his room. <laughs> well, he has his mice and mystics there. He's 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 under the covers, moving the little miniatures back and forth. <laughs> Trying to cover himself. It's okay. It's okay, guys. It's okay. <laughs>
2: you no, know, I'm I'm happy. Race for the galaxy had a respectable showing, so I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with
1: that. I guess. I was pulling for Caverna. I don't know where my dwarves were at, but they were not voting in this. 2015 tabletop madness but
2: is working i guess right they don't get the day off for election day
1: <laughs> it's true it's very true but nonetheless whether you voted or didn't vote we're so glad to have you join us here this week so this episode we have a brand new feature for you we're going to be adding a how-to feature now you probably see a lot of videos on how to's about how to build something how to do something well these how to's are going to be all related to gaming And our first how-to is going to be about gaming groups. We're going to talk about everything related to gaming groups. We're going to talk about how to find them, how to join them, how to start them, how to manage them, and that's a big one, and then how to do some good with them. Especially charity work, networking, business opportunities, or even if it's just joint purchases where you get together with a group of people and put together an order so there's a lot of good that can come from gaming groups
2: they're out there gaming groups are everywhere and there are always people i read about online but where's our group around here i gotta find one i want to know i'm getting bored playing with my wife slash husband slash significant other yes oh it's always great to uh spread out your your net absolutely find some new people to play with
1: sure i also wanted to give one more shout out to double exposures maelstrom 2015 gaming convention in Morristown, New Jersey. By the time you listen to this podcast, it's about over, but you should still have, at the very least, Sunday to participate. This is a little unique gaming convention where it's all about open gaming. You come down, you get to meet friends, you can play your game as long as you want, there's table space to be found everywhere, and Board Gamers Anonymous will be there. So if you want to join us at the table, as always, we're always saving a seat for you.
2: It's a great idea for a convention because... It's a casual gamers convention. Uh, every convention you go to, there's serious gamers there. They're hunched over their board. They're focused. And it is very structured and regimented. And you got to do this and do that and sign up for it. Um, but the folks at Double Exposure have just made this open to families and new people. Just come in and have some fun. Yeah,
1: that's what I really love about Double Exposure. Every convention has a completely different flavor to it. And they really cover everything.
2: Yeah, the one uh, this fall just for focusing on designers and new games where you get to go and play prototypes before they're released. That's a lot of fun.
1: So an outstanding event to take advantage of. We'll also have our acquisition disorders, our at the tables for this week, and our final round. So with that said, oh, I I guess I didn't have to say anything more because there goes Drew. Shout it from the tabletops. (laughs) Sir, you're gonna need to get down from there. You can come
2: join me on the tabletop. All right.
1: You want. Yeah, I guess since <laughs> since it's just the two of us, we probably could both fit on that tabletop of yours.
2: And I don't even have to shout it. I, it's you know just I me and you, to, just for you. <laughs> um, hey, did you see the Fast and Furious movie that just came out? Fast and Furious Seven, I think it was the seventh one. No. It's gonna be the last one. It <laughs> come on it it broke all records for opening uh, movie openings in the month of April. Huge movie. All right. So so guess what? Big surprise. There's gonna be a tabletop game about Fast and Furious. Why? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? It's it's a it's a driving game. So the people behind Thunder Alley and the upcoming Grand Prix, um Jeff and Carla Horger, I think the name is, they're okay. gonna be creating it for Fast and Furious. Um, you know, it's right up their alley, I guess you could say. Okay. To make racing games. Um, it, it always interests me when IPs and intellectual properties uh, come to board games. And uh, and it didn't take long for this one to, to latch on. Um, let's see. You mentioned things that were going on this weekend, uh, the Maelstrom Convention. International Tabletop Day was yesterday. Yes. And uh, the good folks at Geek and Sundry used the occasion to donate games to the Big Brothers and Big Sisters Way to organization.
1: Go, guys. Love that.
2: I think it's a brilliant idea. That's excellent. because that's that's what big brothers and sisters can do for their uh for their young charges, their wards, mm-hmm. is play some really interesting board games with them.
1: hmm Absolutely.
2: It's it's the sort of thing I can see uh gaining momentum. That would be nice to do that around the country. I hope uh Will Wheaton gets on that and promotes uh a series of fundraisers.
1: To yeah hof- games. Yeah. Hopefully everyone got out there, got to your local gaming store or gaming convention and was able to pick up some of those great promos too a lot
2: circulating a lot of free games and promos going on um i I went to ours in bennington vermont um i i know man the store we went to last year in uh, northern new jersey is no more but um, there's still plenty of other places new jersey new york all around the country
1: Mm-hmm. All around the world, this is international tabletop, It's international, Drew. It's, it's it's a thing, man. Will Wheaton's now- done some uh, great work out there, and you know, I've I've been to these international tabletop days. I guess for like the last two years, I think they've kind of been around. And you see people come out of the woodwork who you've never seen at a gaming store, and it's really fun to meet new people and just see the crowd and the excitement. I mean, it's just a great job by everyone at Geek & Sundry, and especially Will Wheaton. Thank you so much for putting this together. It really has become, as Drew said, an international event, and it's a lot of fun.
2: Now, speaking of Geek & Sundry, let's stay right on that. Uh, Their fundraiser that they had was so successful. How successful was it? Well, they reached a goal. (laughs) They they got so much money, wads of cash, that they reached their goal to create another show based on role-playing games. So it seems like Will had designed uh, a setting for a game a game system from Green Ronin. They have okay. a fantasy age game engine and they're going to be playing on air every week Titan's Grave: The Ashes of Yalkana which sounds impressive but I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I'm curious. Um his his the kind of RPGs he's into are the storytelling. So it should make a very photogenic RPG where uh, you can follow the story from week to week and really get into it. Or I don't even know, it could be month to month for all I know. Um, it does start June, excuse me, it does start June 2nd on the Geek and Sundry network. And it's, I'm curious about it to see what is different about that particular RPG engine. And uh see what he does with it. There's a bunch of actors involved, so maybe they'll really play up the narrative.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be a great time. I'm actually surprised, or maybe not surprised, that he's not doing more of a sci fi theme. You know, maybe mm. he wants to stay away <laughs> from being Wesley Crusher yet again. <laughs> oh. But uh I mean, I I think that's the best episodes of Tabletop are always the ones where there's some sort of narrative element where they have to bring in some sort of you know, comic relief, or really act it up because these are actors and comedians, so this should actually be a lot of fun. I heard something about Geek Dad. It's one
2: of the sites I follow. I know Anthony being a geek dad, he follows that site. Um, they do a lot of uh, geek interest things, including board games, a lot about board games and video games. They had some legal troubles with uh, their what used to be the website they were hosted by Wired, okay. Um, They broke out on their own and Wired said, No, you can leave, but you can't take Geek Dad the name with you. Ooh God, and that happens all the time. That is not cool. It's intellectual property. And you know, you created it, you should keep it. Well, they did finally settle with Wired. Geek Dad has the rights now. It cost them a little bit, but uh I really enjoy them. I'm glad that's behind them. They do have a Patreon. I guess they're going to need a lot of help to pay for the legal bills, but sure, um, it's nice that they're that they're unhindered by that. I always enjoyed their their uh, blogs. Oh, the state of Washington has has taken advantage of the whole Indiana mess with uh, this ridiculous law that they passed there, um, which is still being hashed out in the Indiana legislature about. I, I, what do they call that? It has to do with religion. Like
1: It was a religious freedom law that, surprisingly enough, a little bit of an update with that. Walmart, the NFL, the NCAA, and a number of other major sports and entertainment industry have been putting pressure the state of Indiana to modify that law because all of these different large organizations serve – a wide population, and they don't want to lose out, so they've actually made adjustments to the law that did pass in order to kind of make everybody happy. But obviously, no one's really happy. But it, it may have made a few
2: people happy, but there's still some general uneasiness about
1: uh, it's where a, things stand. Yeah, I mean, it's a different, it's a difficult topic. You want to be able to protect everyone's freedoms, but it's not always necessary, and it's not always possible and because it's not always possible you have to do what is the greater good the greater good is to allow everyone to receive services no matter what the situation may be because once you do open a business you do have to serve people you yeah. know
2: the mistrust you can see where the, the law itself may you know may read in in black and white it may read like it's noble and it's it's a good thing but if it's being promoted and sponsored by people that have their own social or religious agendas then you're not going to trust that it's going to be applied fairly um which is well, this, what the whole problem was
1: yeah i mean this came up not too long ago with hobby lobby does an organization uh, does a business not a re- not a religion but does a business can a business have a religious f- affiliation that allows them to discriminate when it comes to services. So, well,
2: if, if businesses are people, obviously they can yeah. Well, they've <laughs> that's been ruled. Their philosophy.
1: They've been ruled as such. So, yeah, uh, there's some some bigger problems going on with that. But that's that's our other spinoff podcast, as you know, Drew <laughs> boards <Borg.
2: Just laughs> <laughs> where we solve the problems of the world yes um, so the Indiana legislature did walk some of that back but it's still there's still an uneasiness about the law being on the books and Washington state of Washington jumped in um, to w- try to woo Gen Con away from Indiana now Gen Con's locked in legally um, through the year 2020 I think but okay. it's actually a good time to start looking beyond that and maybe Gen Con would move to a more liberal, socially liberal Hmm. atmosphere like washington state
1: um well since since there's offers going out i'd like to announce my offer to gen con (laughs) i have a really nice apartment and if they would like to bring all the designers and new games there you know there's ample parking you know there's a good two or three spots there so you're welcome to my place guys there you go yeah, and I, I, everyone is allowed to come. It's a very small apartment, but, you know, everyone takes turns. You know, you, you're used to lines, so it's fine. Hey, do you
2: think it's going to be like the Olympics where, where all these communities go to Gen Con and present their, uh, you know, they have a competition and they present their case?
1: That would be amazing. would
2: <laughs> be fun. I don't want them to go to Washington because that's like the other side of the country. It's bad. Sure. It's hard enough to get to Indiana. Yeah. Oh, man. But the West Coast would love that. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, the, the connection, the reason why Washington is, the CEO of Gen Con is a native of Washington, so Ooh. there's the angle. It's like, come home. Come home to us. Yeah. So they might. Who knows? We'll keep you apprised of that. Um, in celebrity news, Rich Summer, who's been popping up everywhere as the board gamer du jour, celebrity board gamer, he's starting his own podcast. It's called <laughs> Cardboard on the Wolf Pop Network, the um, – First episode was Thursday, actually. Okay. Uh, he's going to be doing it every other week, like so many podcasts do, on Thursdays. And he had Ty Burrell from Modern Family on as his first guest. So you talk about the, the profile of board gaming being raised, getting higher and higher. This is certainly going to help. Um, Rich Summer, for those who don't know, played Harry Crane from Mad Men, the, the ad man that we now hate as much as we once loved. He has become <laughs> such a jerk, that character. <laughs> he was so cute early on. But, uh, that's a testimony to Rich Summer's growth as an actor.
1: <laughs> to let you guys know, too, when you're searching for cardboard, it's cardboard with an exclamation point at the end. That's important. <laughs> that's important because when you're doing these searches, sometimes things don't pop up.
2: Um, and you might as well add Wolf Pop, W-O-L-F-P-O-P. That's the name of the web network. Mm-hmm. That might help you focus uh, focus in on that
1: yeah and it's it's very gateway kind of games his if that's your thing, check it out, man.
2: They're accessible you know there's always a, there's a lot of talk this past year on even on board game geek about introducing new people They yes. we want to make this hobby accessible to more and more people. Well, tell your your newbie friends about this show. It is a great introduction.
1: Right. Well, we're glad to, uh, you know, welcome Rich to the next level, you know, of stardom as we all have and being big famous people that we are. So uh, welcome to the big leagues, Mr. Summer. You know, And,
2: and if uh, you want to come on our show, uh, I'm sure you'll get a nice big bump, a bounce uh, from <laughs> your appearance here. Okay, are we done sucking up now?
1: No, I'm not sucking up at all i I think it's I think it's a great step that he's finally making in his career to get to the big leagues. you know he was just doing Mad Men, which is a nice little show, but now he's doing a board game podcast, and honestly that's you know first you get the board game podcast and then you get the money and then you get the power. We all know this that's the way it works. <laughs> Look he's... out,
2: look out, Tom Vassell!
1: Look out! I mean, he's coming he's... up behind you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, you know, the, the, there's another next big thing on the horizon. Okay, and it goes by the initials IDW. We Ooh. all know them as a big, you know, comic book publisher. They're an entertainment behemoth. They're, they're getting heavily into board games now by snapping up all sorts of intellectual property. They're also positioning themselves uh, organizationally to be a publicly traded company. I mm-hmm. did not catch what exchange they're going to be on, whether it's the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or whatever, but uh, they want to be in with the big boys. I guess they okay. want the next Hasbro or the next Marvel. It's incredible growth in sales in the last few years, too. It's a, a conglomerate, would you call it? There's like eight different companies. Okay. All under one roof, um, and they're all growing. So keep an eye on IDW. They, they keep popping up in the news, in gaming news all the time. They could be a rival to Hasbro because mm. they've branched out quite a bit. And finally, you got to know about the Settlers of Brooklyn. It's a thing.
1: Brooklyn!
2: YouTube search the Settlers of Brooklyn. It, it's a riot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, so. I know you you uh, took me up on that and checked it out.
1: I, I did like that very much. It's one of those things where it's not just a Brooklyn thing if you don't know about Brooklyn. It's it's more along the lines of a hipster thing. So I, I think while it is the settlers of Brooklyn, it's still nonetheless more about hipsters. So if having a good joke at hipsters expense is something that's interesting for you, I think this is really worth your wild
2: almost all of us come on every every geek on the planet enjoys a good joke about hipsters so (laughs) uh and that is the news from the tabletop all
1: right well drew i you know i doubted you before but this position that you know from the tabletop is actually pretty nice i see why you come up here so often
2: you can see all from up here i
1: can see all the games
2: (gasps) they're so beautiful you can see what everybody's doing from a
1: <laughs> fear. And now at the table with BGA. Chris, what has been hitting your table? Drew, so many games have been hitting my table that the table's starting to worry me that's it's eventually gonna fall. But that's always a good thing.
2: You can't keep using that card table anymore. You gotta get a real table. <laughs>
1: uh yeah i mean if i'm gonna you know shatter from the tabletop i really do need a sturdier table so i got to play a lot of games this week so i'm really excited to tell everyone about these what to tell you about first um i got to play the palaces of carrera 2012 release by michael kinsling and wolfgang kramer this was a 2013 nominee for the kenner spiel an outstanding Euro game has a lot of great elements to it, including a rondelle. Now, Drew, you love rondelles, right, Drew?
2: I've already gone on record. I don't need to repeat myself.
1: <laughs> okay. So, rondelles are amazing, and this rondelle will actually be used in order to set the price of these different wood components, these little kind of tiny little bricks that you're going to use to build in the different cities. Now, these. Six different cities that you're going to build in Italy require different color bricks. In the white city, you can only use white bricks, where in the black city, you can use any color bricks. But with the rondelle, you'll notice that the white bricks are the most expensive, whereas the black bricks are the cheapest. Now, each city has a different requirement, and what you're going to be doing is you're going to be picking up tiles and building them based upon what the requirement is on the number on that little tile. Take a look at where you're going to build it in that city, and then you're going to match up the number of cubes. So if you have a building that requires three cubes, you're going you're gonna to say, well, you know what? I'm going to build this in the green city. Well, turns out the green city allows you to use white, yellow, red, and green. So when you build it there, you can put three of any of those colors in order to build that building. What's really interesting about this game is what you're building towards so you you probably know when it comes to a euro it's about building buildings it's about moving cubes it's about rondelles and but this game has a unique end mechanic because the final goals that are going to end the game and then score you additional points are random there's actually a deck of cards that are going to set the final conditions so once the final three conditions are met The game ends, and then those conditions plus a bonus fourth condition is what's going to score you points in this game, plus what you can actually do in the game itself. The turns are quick. It's a lot of fun. It's not currently for sale in the U.S., unfortunately. I had a friend, Chris, pick this up through Amazon DE, so you can actually pick it up that way. Even though it was the German edition, there really isn't a lot of language barrier here. It's pretty simple, and he was able to print up the English rules. There's so many great things to say about this, especially these little buildings that kind of hold all your information and your cubes and your money secret. They're big, they're beautiful, they're strong. This game is a buy. This is a game that you need to go out and buy no matter what it takes to pick up this game. It's outstanding. It's a beautiful Simple yet complex Euro game that plays in about an hour, mm-hmm. but it's not sacrificing any of the complexity and heaviness to this game. There's a lot of unique decisions, whether it's the rondelle, whether it's when to build the buildings, whether it's the tokens that come from the buildings, or when it's to play in the city or to play on your board. This is a great game. I love this game. It's one of my new favorite games. I'm not sure how I'm picking this up, but I'm going to pick this game up. That's The Palaces of Carrera. I
2: was going to ask you how long it took. You, the way you were describing it, it made it sound more complex, but did no, your it, game take in an hour?
1: It took just over an hour, but that was for three new players at the table. Wow, so, that's pretty good. That's yeah, moves along. I'm, it moves along quite quick. Now, going on the opposite end, a game that I got to, a chance to play is 12 Realms, now this was a really famous Kickstarter game that came out, and it's actually going to have additional expansions that are going to be up on Kickstarter soon. I'll talk about those on a later episode, but I want to talk about the base game. Now, if you ever watched that TV show Once Upon a Time, Drew, notice that oh yeah, yeah, fairy tale fantasy is a big thing now, bringing out you know Snow White and all of these kind of classic characters. This game is might be for you. It's a light entry gateway game in which you have a character such as Snow White and really nice miniatures. That's really what this game is known for, really nice pieces. And you're traveling over this little board in order to pick up tokens, which will give you special abilities, in order to beat these little kind of token minions. Now, this game is a co-op game, so you can play... Oh. Up to four players, and each player that you play with, you can add an additional board, which will have an additional bad guy. And it has kind of a pandemic mechanic to it. So each turn, you have a deck of cards, and you're going to flip up two cards for each realm that's up there, plus one additional card. So when you flip these cards up, it'll tell you where what bad guy it is. And then on that card itself, it'll tell you where the bad guy goes. And then you'll roll a die. And then that will determine where in that region that bad guy goes. Now, each round that comes to an end, when each round comes to an end, you will count up how many bad guys are still left on that realm, and that will move up the marker. If it ever gets to 20, everyone loses the game. So now, if you have four players and you have four boards, you have four markers that are constantly moving up throughout the game. Once it gets to about... 16, 17, 18, the big bad guy comes out and that bad guy has some special rules in which you need to defeat them and in order to defeat them you have to pick up all of these special relics in order to even take a shot at beating the bad guy and once you kind of are able to face the bad guy you need to meet the conditions which typically are matching up the number of special ability tokens so there's charm, there's battle, there's um, bribery, you have a little coin, you have magic, which is the blue star. This is a very, very, very light gateway game. It was a little challenging to start with. I was playing with three kind of gateway gamers, so one of the one of the regions kind of get out got out of control a little bit, and we almost lost the game, but we all jumped on that area. But by the end of the game, we had so many tokens that beating any bad guy was not a problem. Yeah. This game reminds me of Myth a little bit, Drew, because when you play Myth, you get like kind of like a box of fun. Twelve Realms is a box of fun. There is so <laughs> much stuff in this box that you can play it a whole bunch of different ways. And with the expansions, this this is just like this is kind of like a life game. You can purchase this game for your family. Put it in front of them and go bye, and they'll play this game forever. So, how
2: how young are you thinking you might enjoy oh, this? Oh man,
1: I would say you could probably easily play this game with, I would say, ages six and up. Wow, because mm-hmm. you're just you're basically when you move when you move a uh, character, you're paying one swiftness, which is just a token with a little with a uh, wing on it. And that just that shows your movement, and then oh, there's a bad guy there. He needs a charm, which is a heart. You move the charm token over, and you that knocks out the bad guy. Well, you go to the area you can buy something. Yeah. You pay two two coins for it. So it's a very simple game. It plays with a wide range of people.
2: You said you won fairly easily. So, is there a way we handicap this that you can make it a little harder, a little easier if you have to.
1: Yes, the game does include a very large rulebook, which is almost problematic for uh-huh. new gamers. It offers way too many ways to kind of alter the experience here. Okay, um, There's a shadow player that somebody can actually decide where the bad guys go in order to make the game harder.
2: Playing a simple game or you can make it harder. The more you play it, you can just keep adding more things in. Yeah.
1: The rulebook is very problematic, I'm going to say. You know, if you, if you sit down in this game... It has a lot of components. It is an easy game to play. But the rulebook, because it has so many different ways to play the game, is challenging to the point where the rulebook does not match up with the gameplay. I think they would have been better off just putting in one version of the game, a very simple version of the game, and then walking away from it. The later expansions that are going to be on Kickstarter, which we will be reviewing, will actually allow for more gamer type of gameplay more you know deeper cut type of gameplay Mm -hmm. but i'll leave that review for something later on but as far as a good entry gateway game 12 realms is a play but i would say that this is not the type of game you could just hand over to non-gamers and and know that they'll be able to play correctly it does need a gamer because the rulebook is a monster to get through And the setup is very fiddly. There's a lot of tokens in this game. But I think once your family or friends know how to play this game, you can kind of walk away. It's a very simple game. And the really funny thing, I was playing with my sister and my family, and it turns out that my sister is an alpha gamer, Drew. It turns (laughs) out she's an alpha gamer. She never played a co-op game before, and she's like, I don't want to play a co-op game. I'm like, no, you'll like it. And then by the end of the game, she was telling everyone what to do, and I was like, oh, my God, she's an alpha gamer.
2: You know, I heard I heard about this game as a print-and-play game in its early uh, format, that it was actually a lot of fun playing. I don't know if the print-and-play version is still available on Board Game Geek, but it might be something, yeah.
1: This, this game will be up on Kickstarter again pretty soon, so we'll talk more about that. And at yeah. that time, you'll be able to pick up everything you want, including the outstanding miniatures for this game. But, you
2: can, but at least you can check out the uh, print-and-play version if you want to take a, a preview.
1: Sure. It's 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 a very light it's not a gamer's game. So if you're if you're a gamer, if games are your thing, this is probably not your thing until at least the expansions come out and then I'll review that and I'll let you know if it reaches a gamer level of gaming. Okay. But uh up until then, it's a it's a light play and it's a play for really only kind of non-gamers and gateway gamers.
2: All right. Now, you said you get one more game. What what else did you bring to the table? I want to know. I
1: want to know. Come on. Another game that I got to the table, which I was really apprehensive to play, was Cash and Guns, the second edition. Now, I played Cash and Guns, the first edition once, because, once again, I was apprehensive to play that. You were actually getting these foam guns, and you're pointing at your friends at the table, and you're playing these bullet cards to let you know if you shot your friends. Uh, just Just the kind of the visuals of the game really didn't sit well with me. I mean, it's not, it's a kind of fun kind of game, but nonetheless, it's a little odd when you have a table of people that are pointing guns at each other. Even if they are foam guns, it's a little weird, to be honest with you. <laughs> but this Cash and Gun 2nd edition, and especially the artwork by John Kovalec, who does all the Munchkin, or at least the vast majority of the Munchkin artwork, really brings the game to a more satirical, humorous, cartoony kind of aspect. Now, you still have the guns. You still have these kind of foam guns, they're black with orange tips. The first edition of Cash and Guns had these orange, neon orange guns. At one point they had black guns and they had other additional kind of components to it. If you haven't played Cash and Guns, basically what you're doing is you're going to take your foam gun and when everyone says go, you're going to point your gun at someone else's at the table and then you're going to flip over your card if they haven't ducked. So if they don't have the courage to stand up to having a gun pointed at their face... <laughs> And they don't dive yeah. underneath the table by you know, knocking their little character over to show that they've ducked out of the way. You'll flip over your card. If it's a bang, they get shot and they get injured. If they get three injuries, they're out of the game. This is a player elimination game. If for some reason it's a click, which means you didn't shoot them, or if you survived them somehow, you'll be able to pick from the loot. Now, the, another difference in this game from the original is instead of just picking money... They'll have money. They'll have paintings, which if you collect enough paintings, the paintings kind of scale up. And they'll also have the diamond jewelry. Now, if you end up with the most diamonds at the end of the game, you'll get this big cardboard token, which is actually worth 60000 In addition to all that, it has an additional element, which is kind of like a little mini expansion, which it has individual player powers, Now, these are kind of randomly given out, and I don't know. They're a little unbalanced, I would say, in some respects. Some powers were more powerful than other powers, or just some powers didn't come into play so much. But they're fun, and I always like asymmetrical gameplay, and I don't care if it makes it a little bit harder for me. I just like asymmetrical gameplay. So I'm going to say for Cash and Guns 2nd Edition, this game is a play. But once again, just be aware you're going to be pointing foam guns at people. It makes the game a lot lighter since it's cartoony. It kind of pulls back a little bit so it's more abstract. So if you're going to play Cash and Guns, I recommend this edition.
2: Now what do you say to people who who claim that, that Cash and Guns is just a party version of Bang?
1: I like this better than Bang, to be honest with you. I hear Bang the Dice Game is a very good game, but... This kind of allows you to have that really kind of a merit clash thrash kind of play, whereas bang, you're really kind of stuck to a role. And if you're not happy with that role, or if things are just not going for <laughs> you, it's a yeah. long game. This is a quick game.
2: All right, that's that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you bringing that out. All right, man, that's cool. A
1: lot of good stuff. So that's everything that's hitting the table for BGA. And now. Our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders. That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else, but the base game, the base game, and the expansion. See, nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion, and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See, that's not too much. But maybe I don't know. Now on to our acquisition disorders. What do you have for us this week, Drew? Well,
2: funny you should mention. 12 realms and once upon a time it seems like fairy tales are big um also grim you know i started actually watching grim the first couple seasons and i probably should have stuck with it it's gotten even better but fairy tales are big and i'm finally happy to see gloom come up with a version that i can really get into gloom is going to be releasing gloom fairy tale i think it's a natural fit because anyone who has read the brothers Grimm knows that it's it's a perfect fit for Gloom, um, for all the, the terrible things that happen to the characters. And I'm really excited about this, because this would bring the storytelling aspect of Gloom to the fore. I've played Gloom more often than not without the storytelling. It's like, let's just play the numbers, plus points, minus points, see who wins. But it's most fun when you're, when you're really spinning a tale. So you're going to be able to create your own fairy tales. In this version and have a lot of fun doing it so i'm excited about that um the other game that i am really looking forward to it's called 504 from friedman freeze he's the guy behind power grid yay now what is well what is 504 504 is 504 games you're going to get in one box of games it's just, Wait a minute. It's just awesome. Listen, when I was a kid, my brother and I, we'd get these anthologies, these boxes with 50 games all in one box, and we would play every single one. I want to I get this box and play every single game. It's a simple, simple method. He takes nine mechanics or modules, if you will, and mixes them up 504 different ways. The, the nine, I'll, I'll list them real quick. War game, pick up and deliver, Production, streets, exploration, racing, majority, add-ons, and stocks. Now, they're not just mechanics, but they're sort of um, features of gameplay. And by mixing them up in different ways, it creates a different game each time. You can pick a three-digit number, and the order of that number matters. The first two digits will be the basic game, the, the two basic mechanics, and the third will be a feature of the game. Um, so it, the order, the order does matter. The, um, the website I was reading gave some examples of it. I'm not going to get into it right now. I'm, there are too many examples, but you can imagine taking a war game and combining it with a pickup and deliver game where, well, you can just imagine, um, messengers in time of war, they pick up a message, they have to deliver it to someone else while someone's shooting at you. I love the concept. This is like a mashup of all these different mechanics. And I love mashups. You know that. <laughs> a ra- Do
1: we know, true?
2: Combine Wargame with any of these. Oh, they were saying one of the examples was racing and exploration, where you start off a racing game with a very small, modular map, and then it grows as the race continues. You only discover where you're racing to as the game progresses.
1: It, it's that sort <laughs> it's of- just... yeah it's just like any old classic kind of video game where the horizon was always loading as you were driving.
2: Yeah, actually that's, that's brilliant. That's, I never thought of that. Um, so it's, it's a great way of exploring different kinds of games. I don't know how he's going to pull this off. Just nine different modules. And he says, you can put them together any way you want and adjust it, you know, create your own backstory and go. Um, I, I want to see this up close and personal, so I can tell you more about it in the future. It's just I love the concept. Um, yeah,
1: I'm a little skeptical about this. I mean, I like the idea of it, but I don't know. It's it seems like a lot of I don't know random stuff thrown into a box. And some then some
2: games are going to be clunkers, I'm sure.
1: I think the majority. I mean, <laughs> to say that it's 504 games in a box. Yeah, uh, I think that. I I don't know. It doesn't seem You got to see
2: how like the it. modules can work together because there's going to be a lot of personalization of it. You know, you're going to have to set some of the terms for how the modules fit and where the game goes from there. Um,
1: I mean, I'll hold my opinion, but I'm not holding out hope for 504 games in a box. I got to be honest, Drew. I think that's I think that if that's their selling point, I don't know. I'd rather have one good game than 504. Yeah, so games. I want to
2: explore them all. It's, it's exploration. And the whole concept of modules, I think the, um, well, the, the designer who's developing the solo play module, that's basically what that is. It's a solo play module that you can drop into a lot of other games and adapt it. I think modules could be the future. Hmm. Who knows? So,
1: Drew, will you play all 504 games?
2: Tell me the price point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell you offhand whether this is going to be a buy or a play. but
1: I will buy the game for you if you, if you promise for the listeners that you will play and review all 504 games. You know what? Well,
2: that would make an interesting blog. I think so. so you know those, those blogs that I'm going to do this every day for a whole year? <laughs> And then they make a big movie out of it starring Julia Roberts. You know? Oh,
1: jeez, no.
2: 504, the movie. Five. <laughs> um, I would. I'm, I tell you, my brother and I would do that. We would buy these anthology games and play every single one and keep track. and you know, Who won more games than the other? I could do that. If I found a group that might be willing to experiment and try something new, yeah, I'd play all 504. I would do it. Dare me to, Chris. Come on dare me i
1: i totally dare you to do it i don't i don't know if our listeners want to listen to 504 games or okay this one you you move the meeples to the left and the next game you move to the right
2: i promise i will give one word reviews for all 504 (laughs) games one word that's all you need good good bad sucks wonderful horrible you know that's all you need one word okay but that's not coming out until october uh of this year so
1: Drew, should we have an over-under on that?
2: <laughs> oh, which ones are good?
1: Yeah, so like um, 504, what's the over-under you know, on good I, versus I bad? I bet
2: there would be 50 games in there. One one out of 10 would be games that you would want to play again.
1: I will I will take the under on that, Drew.
2: Really? You think less than 50? I,
1: I think definitely less than 50 on that.
2: I don't know. I, I love the concept of, of mixing up some of these and then... To, you know mixing up two of the the mechanics and then throwing a third one in as a feature of the game that would that would be a lot of fun. Anyway, I will tell you more about it when uh, when it's released. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to acquisitioning.
1: All right so that's everything for our acquisition disorders all 504 of them. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: forgot gloom fairytale 505
1: 50 50- <laughs> 50- 505 then. <laughs> The, the, the biggest acquisition disorders we've ever done.
2: <laughs> oh, they were saying it was funny because uh, in when I read about this, it was in the context of how many games are going to be released at Essen this year. Well, that one game counts for 500 right there. So,
1: so our feature this week is how to gaming groups. So Drew and I actually met in a gaming group in particular Staten Island Board Gamers and one of the really interesting things about joining a gaming group and being part of a gaming group is that you learn so much about the dynamics that go around gaming above and beyond just the actual playing of games. So for this week we wanted to talk about all the different dimensions about gaming in gaming groups. Now, in particular, and Drew mentioned this earlier, probably when you first started out gaming, you started out gaming with maybe a sibling or a family member, or maybe the whole family got together and played games. But as maybe your taste had changed, or maybe they ratcheted up the weight of certain games, you actually need a wider range of people to play with. So that's when gaming groups come in, because, you know, maybe you want to get outside of the two-player game, or maybe you want to play that heavy Demacher game and you really do need a group of people who are just as passionate about gaming as you are in order to sit around for, I don't know, a 4 to 12 hour gaming session. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the basics. So first starting off, how to find a gaming group. Drew, how did you find Stenton Board Gamers?
2: Um, I'll tell you how I found it. <laughs> This one was uh, just going to Google. Okay. I was looking for something to, uh, to do to spend some free time. And I thought of board gaming. I used to play board games, and I know that there were board game groups around somewhere. So I just Googled board games Staten Island. Um, we didn't have a board game store. There was no, no place to buy them, but it brought me to meetup.com and to the Staten Island board gamers group. That has a uh, that had a site. Sherry uh, created a site for that. Meetup.com is probably the first that people go to to find out board game groups. It it mm-hmm. covers man oh I don't know how many it covers thousands. basically everything yeah, thousands of different subjects and they do have special tags for board games um, or other kinds of games or video games or geek or anything. And so, all you got to do is go in there, type board games, and it will find out where you're from, what area you're in, and tell you what the closest groups are to that, what time they meet.
1: Meetup.com is a great site for meeting up new game groups. And what I really like about Meetup is you can type in practically anything. And when you go to Meetup.com, which is a free website to join, now we'll talk about in a minute actually starting a game group because things are a little bit different as far as that's concerned. But when you join Meetup.com, You could just type in board games, as Drew was saying, or you can even type in specific games. There are board game groups everywhere, but there's also a lot of groups that specialize in one or two games. So if you like Scrabble, there's plenty of Scrabble groups. Or if you like certain trick-taking games.
2: There's a group for Catan.
1: There's plenty of groups for Catan or Ticket to Ride. Uh, I've seen groups for just Game of Thrones, the board game, as far as that's concerned. There's miniature gamer meetups. So really any flavor of type of game that you're interested in, there's a gaming group for that. If you're just a gateway gamer, there's a gaming group for that. If you're a hardcore gamer, there's gaming groups for that too. And then even within the meetup groups that are created by people – there's often a number of different types of groups within that. So you could have a meetup group that meets on Saturdays and plays war games, but on Tuesday they play Jenga for some reason. So there's often a lot of different types of groups even within those groups. The way I found my board gaming groups was actually through a geek group that wasn't specialized for board games But board gaming became part of the group and I was like, hey, this is fun. I had no idea that there was board gaming groups and I searched meetup.com and I found a whole bunch of board gaming groups and I think I'm a member for about, I don't know, 30 or 40 different board game groups in the area and they're everywhere. They're held in all different places and it's a lot of fun. It's a great opportunity. But above and beyond meetup.com, Facebook has a number of different board game groups and a lot of different meetups have their own facebook group so if you don't want to join up meetup.com facebook is another great spot or board game geek board game geek has a lot of great forums including special areas so for us we live mostly in the northeast so if i go to board game if i go to board game geek and type in northeast you're going to see a lot of people going hey i live in this area is there any good groups in the area? Can I join any groups? So it's a great place to meet people, to join gaming groups. So whether it's meetup.com, facebook.com, or it's just a normal gaming group that gets together or a group of people on BoardGameGeek, those are some great places to meet those people.
2: BoardGameGeek has um, an entire forum where they break down the entire world. Um, I took a trip to Iceland, and I was curious about spending an evening meeting up with some gamers in Iceland. And there's a European sub-forum. And uh, they also, I was also able to find certain gamers from Iceland on Board Game Geek. And I contacted a couple of them. One responded. And I had a nice uh, game night with uh, this person and a couple of other friends there. So Board Game Geek is a great resource for finding gamers.
1: Yeah, speaking of which, I had an opportunity to meet uh, a new person at our one of our gaming groups at Whole Foods. And he was from Cincinnati, and he was just doing business out in New Jersey. And like any good gamer should, he looked up on meetup.com, found that there was a meetup available, and he came down. We played a game with him, and he actually won the game, which I think was kind of rude (laughs) being a new guy. But nonetheless, he won the game. So, uh, yeah, you want to find groups wherever you're going. So if you're going on vacation, the first thing that any good board gamer does is you find where the local gaming groups are held at.
2: That's it. Um, Now, there are two brick-and-mortar solutions for this, too. Uh, One very obvious one is find a board game store or uh, a game that's – or a store that sells all kinds of games. Now, the one we have in Bennington when I moved up here, they didn't actually have a group for board gamers, but they have groups for um, Warhammer 40K. They have a group for – let's see, what is it? Magic the Gathering and Pokemon – and uh, there's a an, uh, Dungeons and Dragons group that meets here. So you can go to any board gaming store or any hobby store, even one that sells a variety of uh, things related to the geeks, <laughs> to the geek hobby. They might know of a board game group that meets inside the store. Now, the other thing that is more and more common that you might have in your own town is a board game cafe. That's like built-in group right there. You just walk in and you're going to see people all over the room. The trouble with a board game cafe is usually people go there with their own group. So if you if you just walk into a, a cafe, they're all going to have their own groups. You may not be able to find a pickup game, whereas in a board game store, the, there's always somebody there that will help you, you know, find a game, fit in with a group that's already playing a game. So anyway, do the brick-and-mortar route. Board game stores, board game cafes, you'll, you'll always find
1: groups. So now that you've found these groups, let's talk about how to join that group. Now, meetup.com is pretty simple. Once you set up a profile, you'll be able to click onto that group. Sometimes it's as simple as that one click and you're already RSVP'd for that meetup. Sometimes it's a little bit more work involved where you have to be approved or you have to talk to some people on Facebook or you actually have to go to Board Game Geek and have some conversations or some private mail so that you can kind of negotiate, you know, we'll play here, we'll play this game for this amount of time. But once you kind of settled where you're going to be, or as Drew was saying, if you're going to show up to a board game store, if you're just going to show up to a location, whether it's kind of an open gaming situation or if it's a specific group location, let's talk a little bit about how to join and meet up with those people there. So my first tip when you're going to join up with a new group, it's going to be a little intimidating because maybe you don't know these people, you're not bringing somebody with you, and it's a group of people that you're meeting for the first time, so there's always that apprehension. I recommend bringing some games with you. Don't go empty-handed. Bring something that you think a number of different people could play. I would recommend bringing a nice filler game, maybe something that's a two-player game in case it's just you and somebody else there at the start maybe bring love letter, you know, bring light, simple gateway game, filler games. So you have an opportunity just to introduce yourself over a quick game that you really don't have to focus in right from the start. And then maybe have, you know, two or three games that you know very well. So this way, when you bring them to the table, you can be the teacher. It's always a nice way to kind of introduce yourself to the group by saying, hey, look at this great game. If you're interested in playing it, I know how to play it really well. Let me lead you through that game. Because just like every gamer, there's holes in our kind of knowledge base of all these great games that are out there. No one has played all of the (laughs) games. So being able to put a game down the table and being able to teach really does raise your reputation amongst a group. And, you know, it's a nice way to kind of, you know, get connected to different groups of people. So you walk in the door, you find the group that's there. You sit down, maybe start some small small talk. Maybe, you know, if you're there a little bit early or if people just are kind of like wandering around, it's not necessarily a bad idea just to open the game and start setting the game up. If it's a game that can play with a large number of people, that's always a good sign. And, you know, as you're, you're laying out all those components, and if especially if it's, you know, if it's a marriage clash game with really nice miniatures or the board's really colorful, or if it's the new hotness people are going to come over to you. You won't have to kind of chase people down and say, "Hey, what's that game?" And you're like, "Oh, it's blah blah blah. You want to you want to check it out?" And they'll sit down and the next thing you know, you have three or four players and you're part of the group. How about you, Drew? Any interesting <laughs> stories as far as joining groups?
2: Now, at some point you're if you're on meetup.com especially, you might read about, "Come join our group. It only $5 and that covers you for a whole year or a dollar a night or there's often money, especially um, board game stores, hobby stores might do this. We're having a special game night, it's $5. That's because, well, with meetup.com, there's an actual expense involved in creating a group on Meetup. So the person who does that, for example, Sherry, who who started the Staten Island board game group, she paid the money. She put that up, and then every year, meetup.com wants more money for maintenance of uh, the Meetup group. So it's reasonable to just ask for like $5 for the whole year. That's fine. That's It's a one-time expense or maybe a dollar every time you play. It's a nominal fee uh, because Meetup really is an effective tool for bringing people together for a common interest. Not a problem. Uh, when board game stores, hobby stores, say it's $5 to participate in our board game night, it will either come back to you in, in one of two ways, in-store credit or in a a raffle where one or two people will share in all the money that's collected. They do this because, well, they can't afford to stay in business just by having people come into their store, play a game, and leave without buying it. That's not how board game stores survive as long as they have. So it just makes sense to support your store, and the money always comes back to you one way or another like I say, in credit or in raffle winning. So enjoy the fun. And and it supports the store. Don't worry about the few dollars it costs.
1: Well, that definitely takes us on how to start a gaming group. Now, as Drew said, if you're going to start a gaming group on meetup.com, there is an initial expense to that. So usually Meetup will give you about a week or two to try out your group and see if you get a couple of people there. But most meetup groups or most board gaming groups does take a while to kind of get established and get going. For meetup, there's a fee for every six months that the group is active. And recently, they added some additional costs if you have a group over 50 people. But how to start a group can be used through meetup.com, can be just a group of people that you get together on Board Game Geek or can be done for free by setting up a game group on facebook.com. So, you can use the electronic routes, which is usually the best type of routes because it gets a, a wide range of people there, or you can try some flyers, you know, at local community centers or stores, especially gaming stores, or as Drew was saying, you know, if you do have a board game cafe or if you have a board game store, Talk to the people there. Ask them if they know of any people who are looking to get a group together. Because since these are social games and since you do need a number of people in order to play them, everyone is always looking for players. So just by letting people know and getting the word out that you're looking to play games, whether it's BoardGameGeek, Meetup.com, Facebook, or just flyers that you can hand out – is always a good way to start
2: their own circle of friends that they do things with you might have people over for drinks Uh, you might go out for a movie go for a hike play tennis together you might do anything together why not invite a few people over for drinks and then a card game or pull out a simple board game what we call the gateway games it can just be a matter of introducing games to your circle of friends And you're gonna have more than just two friends. You might have a couple dozen people that you see through work, through the neighborhood, through social groups, invite them over, play games. You can create your own group in your own home. I read about this from time to time online of people who are having a problem with a game group they started getting too big. Now they have 20 people coming into their home. They don't know what to do about it. So you can start it from scratch and sometimes be very successful. If, if you're lucky, you're going to find some people who share that interest, and you can have a game group in your own backyard. So that really leads us into the next thing. How do you manage a game group? Um, the biggest problem, and there are a number of things to keep in mind, but the biggest one is usually too big. What do you do if it gets too big? <laughs> if you're in a public space, that's not a problem. It's only a problem when it's in your home. How do you do it?
1: Well, it could be a problem if it's in a public space. You know, If you're taking up too many tables at a local restaurant or diner or food store, they might have some problems with that, too. If
2: you're eating. um, Yeah, I think even in New York City, um, the one that met in uh, Tribeca, the Whole Foods upstairs, they would get like 50, 60 people. They had to limit it to 40, I think. There was a, a cutoff where they couldn't take up all the tables. It's true. In some places it can be so many in a public restaurant like panera bread as long as you're eating they they don't have that much of a problem
1: you found the group you got a group of people together whether you join them or you started the group yourself now you want to have some game nights how do you go about that well if you're using some sort of source as far as meetup or facebook or board game Geek or something you want to announce that you're having this event now, having run multitudes of different meetup groups in the past, I would highly recommend that you give people at least two weeks' notice. One week tends to be a little bit too short to make arrangements. Three weeks, people tend to forget about things. But two weeks tends to be a good a good amount of time. And then once you have a two-week kind of window open, the best thing to do is see if you could do some sort of informal survey. What day and what time is good for people? Is this going to be an after-work kind type of group? Or is this going to be a weekend type of group? Get a sense from some people as far as what time is good for them. Now, you probably are not going to hear back from everybody. Or what's most often going to happen is that people are going to have different ideas of what the best day is for them. Now, what you're going to have to end up doing is put a day that has the majority of people that allow you to run games. But as Drew said, if you do have a large number of people, you can always split up into smaller groups. So let's say you have 10 people, and then six of the people can meet on this day, and the other four, well, they're kind of hit and miss. You can set up a separate day, but the idea is to get the maximum number of people you can at a certain day. Now, as far as location is concerned, there's a number of different places. So as Drew said, your home, if you have enough space to have people over, that's always a great place because you're not going to get kicked out of there. But if the people are new to you, I wouldn't recommend having your home as the first location because you want to get comfortable with people before you invite them into your house. Now, there are a number of different public locations. So you can try out community centers, you could try out libraries, and you could try out a large number of eating establishments. They have the tables, they have the chairs, and as long as you're eating the food, they're usually good for you to be there. As long as you're not taking up too much table space. So popular places like Starbucks or Panera Bread or supermarkets that have certain cafes in them are usually pretty good spaces. And then once you've kind of gotten a solid space and you got a reputation of being very clean, you want to make sure that the space is managed really well. So whatever you do as far as organizing chairs and putting tables together – At the end of the night, put those things back the way you found them. I'm telling you, if you don't do that, no matter how much money you spend at a place, people are going to get really upset with you and not want you to come back. So feel free, as long as the management's okay with moving tables, but once that night's over, put everything back. Now, once you have an ongoing group and you're showing up, let's say, to a public location or to a restaurant or a diner or whatever location that may be, and you start bringing in those large numbers, as Drew was saying, you may want to have a conversation with whoever is in charge and say, look, you know, we're bringing a lot of people in here. Maybe we're an open kind of gaming group, so new people are joining every day. You might be in a situation where you can actually get discounts either from the gaming store or from the restaurant, or they might provide you with some food or some incentives in order for you to stay there or they might do some advertising on your behalf if you're a group that's normally showing up there and you're bringing money into that organization or that establishment you know what, is, what does it take for them to post your flyers up there and that's bringing more people in for you and that's bringing more money in for them so it's mutually beneficial so think about how you can kind of operate from a mutual beneficial position where They're bringing you new members, new revenue sources. Now, once you got that group going, once you got people, once you have your core group together, hopefully you want to do some good with that. Now, a gaming group isn't all just about playing games, although that is the main part of it. You can actually do a lot of good with your gaming group. Now, some of the things that we've done for Board Gamers Anonymous and some of the things that you should check out would be to do some charity work. So you got a large group of people, you got some social gaming, the community's coming in, new people are joining up, you got families coming in, you got kids coming in. You know what? You got a lot of people with some disposable income, you know, set up some game days that could be focused towards helping people in need. So for Board Gamers Anonymous, we often do an extra life event each and every year that is connected to Children's Miracle Network. So You can go to their organization and sign up for a day of gaming for charity. Or you can just do a charity event anytime you want and donate the money to whatever charity you feel that you're interested in. It could be a local charity or it could be an international charity. Maybe you charge $5 to gameplay that day. Maybe you collect money at the end of the day. Maybe you do raffles. Maybe you do auctions. There's a lot of great opportunities for raising money for people in need. Now, as you're raising this money, you might recognize, or as you're getting to know people, there's also a lot of opportunities for networking. So as you're talking to people and making friends with people, you know, pretty much everyone has a job and everyone's doing something. So as you're having those conversations, you might want to have a networking night, or you just might want to talk to people and see what they do for the living. Maybe they can benefit you with your business, your organization, or maybe they can help you get a job. Or maybe they can connect you with services that you don't realize were available in your area. So there's a lot of opportunities to network and even do business with people at the board gaming table. And if and when you do start a game group or if you're part of a game group, let people know. This is an opportunity to do some good in the world, connect with each other, and band our board gaming hobby and help some people in need. Definitely.
2: Um, if you can do two good things at once for yourself and especially for others at the same time, do it.
1: <laughs> do it now. Run a group. Join a group. It's a lot of fun. Everyone's doing one step it. at a time.
2: You find one, join <laughs> it, start it, manage it, and have some fun raising money for other people.
1: I mean, and we've talked about this before, but we all met through a gaming group. So, you know, you could start a podcast, huh? huh <laughs> It, it happens
2: and become it, famous just like us
1: just like <laughs> us and you know rich summer he's he's getting there he's he's joined the crew so he will <laughs> He'll reach our heights <laughs> one day one day rich summer you'll be as famous as us but now you know you got madman and that's fine you know and now our final round All right, Drew. How about our final round? Final
2: round. Well, guess what is on tonight? As if you didn't know. All right, it's Game of Thrones. Game of
1: Thrones.
2: We're looking forward to that. So I thought, you know, it reminded me of so many games we played that have that same feeling of of all these people fighting for one throne, and it's it's a king of the hill mechanic, is the way I see it. Um, so mm-hmm. I created this theme for this week: the Spiel the Thrones board game version. So
0: thinking
1: okay. of a
2: game that basically is a king of the hill where you're all fighting for the throne, all fighting to be top. Maybe there's some player elimination involved. Maybe there's some deals being made to promote one over another. Um, the game I was thinking of is is a game I was actually introduced to online. I played called King Me. It's like Cosmic Encounter, where you really need the support of other players if you're going to win. And, and you have to do it subtly by promoting others mostly and then promoting yourself just a little, just enough. And you're trying to win favors so that they'll promote you. And it made me think of the character Littlefinger. He's my favorite character from Game of Thrones because he is so subtle. There's a guy who plays the long game, and hmm. he, he doesn't promote himself, but little by little he's inching toward the top. And King Me is a great game for that because in that game, if you promote yourself, your, your own characters too much, you're gonna your head's cut off, those characters are going to be out of the game, and you're not going to be able to make it to the top. So it's a lot of subtlety in that game. What's what's your choice for Spiel the Throne?
1: <laughs> well, Drew, you may have Littlefinger, but I have someone so, so much greater. Daenerys of House Targaryen, the first wow. of her name, <laughs> Queen of Myrne, Queen of the Andals, and of the First Men, Breaker of Chains, and Mother of Dragons. You memorized all that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did. Well, you have to. I mean, there's so much more to that. She's the Khaleesi of the Great Clarice Sea. Yeah, she's everything. Behind every great woman is giant (laughs) dragons. So, you know, in order to reach the top, and not necessarily the King of the Hill, but the Queen of the Hill, you want to have these giant dragons. What King of the Hill or Queen of the Hill would not be complete without King of Tokyo or King of New York? Because basically they're the same game. Because those dragons or the mecha dragon will take you to the top. So if you haven't played this game, it's tremendous fun. It's battling each other out in order to take the main center. So if it's King of Tokyo, you want to take Tokyo. If it's King of New York, you want to take Manhattan. The Muppets did it, so why not? It's just a lot who, who of fun. Did they defeat, you're, you're...
2: To, to, did they defeat Godzilla? To uh... <laughs>
1: It's uh, not easy being green, whether it's Kermit or Godzilla. Uh, so it just
2: it just made me think we could create animal for King
1: of Tokyo, King of New York. <laughs> there you go. Well, actually, the first Muppet movie doesn't he become gigantic exactly, at the end of the movie? Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect idea. So yeah, it's a great it's a great game. So before you sit down for Game of Thrones, play King of Tokyo. Oh,
2: Kaiju Lisi.
1: Kaiju Lisi. <laughs> there you go. Queen of the Kaiju. Perfect.
2: Well, that is our final round for this week.
1: So that's everything for this week. Be sure to keep in contact with us on Twitter, Facebook, our Guild on Board Game Geek, our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and we would love for you to help us out on our Patreon account. So until next week, this is Chris.
2: Anthony? Daniel?
1: No, no, they made it. Well, this is Drew. And until next time, we'll save you a throne at the table.